Good morning, Peter, and good morning, Matt. Good morning. G'day, gents. How are you? Excellent. Very good. good. We've got you you both in. So, Peter uh, Coleman, we've been chatting a little bit uh, as we set this up, and then uh, Matt Fowles. Um, So tell us a little bit about this book. It's called Weekends with Matt. It came out during the week. It's a cool story. So um, tell tell us how you came together, you guys. Yeah, so we became friends about 20 years ago. We were both studying at Monash University. Um, We had the very good fortune to do a study trip in Italy, in Florence, Mm. and um, we met there. We we became friends uh, early on, and then over the years, um, we in, in you know in and out of touch and um matt obviously he left law to he he started to become a lawyer he had practiced as a lawyer for a few years and then left law to start Fowles winery i went off on my own trajectory i did a phd i entered the not-for-profit sector etc and so both did our separate ways i by nature knew nothing about wine had no background or real knowledge of wine at all had always been pretty intimidated by wine to be honest <laughs> and um but after watching the movie som the documentary som yep. i got very interested not really just so much in wine but the way people became so passionate about wine and the way people explore and see the world through wine and we had this idea of a book um where we sort of pair wine with philosophy and ideas um and we'd sort of discussed this for a while and then the pandemic hit and we got we were in touch with each other and i said why don't we just do that book that we've always been (laughs) meaning to write and it evolved very much from what um it was initially into basically a memoir of a friendship um but it's very much built around um wine as sort of the guiding principle throughout the book yeah and why it's one of those things wine really the whole point of it for me is to bring people together you know to, to mm-hmm. sit with your mates and have a chat about what's going on in life and what what and, are you at, and that's what they would have been doing in italy when these guys went over on the study yeah tour. oh it's it's amazing well mm. yeah i mean the, the before we get on to much further uh, peter i wanted to know have you ever been to Fowles and shot your own lunch? That's my big question there. <laughs> I have not shot my own lunch yet. Um, um, I've <laughs> I, not yet. Isn't that just it for was... ladies? No, 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 no. Anyone um, can shoot their own lunch out there, Matt. That's right, Yeah, but I haven't as yet, but it is something Matt and I have discussed. Um, the image of me shooting my own lunch is one I think Matt relishes, so <laughs> yeah. I think he very much... But like Matt, me. would you want to eat his <laughs> eat the whole lunch that he shot? I think we might be shooting tin cans for a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'd have plenty of deer out there, wouldn't you, Matt? Plenty of gear in terms of... Oh, deer, uh, no, deer. Of deer. Like oh, deer. Yeah. That's right, yeah. No, uh, over the last five uh, years or so, they've pushed south very quickly, so... When we came up here in um, March 2006, there weren't deer on the vineyard, or not that I, that I saw, and now you could uh, pretty well on any day go in and, and find them. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because not many people think of deer in Victoria, but if you're out in the Yarra Valley, they're everywhere. Mm, and they're a problem, aren't they're they? They're a pest, yeah. Well, they spread phylloxera, so amongst anything, they also eat the uh, bud string budburst. Is that correct, Matt? 
Yeah, they do, yeah. and and they'll also eat um, bunches of fruit as well. But they can, they're, yeah. they're big animals, you know. Mm. People think of cute little deer, but, you know, they're, they're essentially as big as a fully grown cow, and they can really smash uh, through the vineyard, so they can consume an enormous amount of fruit. Yeah. Now, getting back to the book, I'm just having, I'm just reading this little quote here, and I love this. This is from your introduction, Matt. Wine is evocative, not prescriptive. There is no start and no finish. There is no black and white. There is no end point. I love that because I think sometimes people have this notion that uh, a Shiraz from Barossa is this, or a Riesling from Eden Valley is that, and it's just not like that, is it? No, it's not. And and I wish someone had told me that at the start of my wine journey because, <laughs> you know, it took me a while to sort of uh, realise that. I guess with my background in law, we always sort of sought to um, collect information and understand information in a very um, literal sense. And yeah. then, and so I sort of came to wine with a similar mindset. And it wasn't until probably years in, in truth that I sort of uh, stopped trying to do that and started focusing on the joy of wine and the um, you know, the, the light and shade in it, which uh, is actually, frankly, a lot more fun. Mm, absolutely. So tell us some, so for, for people listening in, obviously it's um, Weekends with Matt uh, and it's it's a collaboration between you guys. So tell us how we read, how we read the book and, and what, it's, what, what to expect. Well, it's a it as I said, it really evolved over time, and it is it's a memoir. It's, so it's written from my point of view as a as a wine novice, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's over most of the um, most of the events in the book happen over the course of a year. There's an initial bit, and then a big time jump, and then it goes over the course of a year. And it's Matt educating me in wine, and then from there that triggers um, conversations on various different topics. So, for example, when we're talking about Pinot Noir, um, we talk a lot about sensitivity because it's such a sensitive grape and the need to nurture it and care for it. And if it's well taken care of, it can yield some of the best wine in the world. And we talk about how that sort of also applies to some people as well who can be very sensitive. But, you know, a lot of artistic geniuses are also very sensitive people who need a lot of care and love in order to flourish. And mm. and we go through different themes as we go. And, and we also talk about ourselves and our own struggles and our own, you know, joys, successes, you know, heartbreak, etc. Um and the way, you know, the way it was written was very much so that the reader would feel like the third person invited into these conversations that hopefully as you go through and read the book, not only will you learn about wine as you go in a very, uh, you know, easy, accessible way, but also you'll hopefully evoke your own questions, your own thoughts and your own ideas. Because what I end up learning, and particularly through Matt's Um, guidance is that wine is very much about your own experience and what's invoking your memories your Mm. journeys you know where it takes you on your your journeys through your mind and your experiences and you know we have this idea that you know there's a there's a quote in the book um no two people have ever read the same book and it's the Mm. idea that you know everyone will have a unique experience of reading the same book equally everyone has a unique experience of drinking a glass of the same wine Mm. depending on their own catalog of experiences that they bring to it yeah and um how is it structured how are the actual chapters structured because i think that's a pretty fascinating thing too 
Yeah, so each struct, each chapter is named after a particular wine variety. So we begin with uh, Riesling, then we move on to Shiraz, and we move into, we go through um, the noble varieties at various points, but we also do some um, less well-known, such as Arnais, for example, um, that um, and Vermentino. And um, we go through each of the chapters is is focused on a wine, and then that opens up to particular themes, I suppose, about life. And, you... and it's worth saying that the varieties, uh, the varieties we grow in the vineyard are at the Strathbogies. Yeah, that, that was my next question. <laughs> are they all the ones that you grow there? <laughs> they are, yeah. We grow 12 different varieties in this 12 chapters. So in discussing the varieties with Pete, you know, I often think of varieties as having almost personalities. Um, mm. You know, Merlot is uh, Cabernet without the pain, genetically related, <laughs> larger berries, less uh, tannin. And so, you know, that chapter is about um, the value of being gentle and, uh, you know, um, Arnais known as the little rascal, um, and it is, you know, some days it behaves, some days it doesn't. Uh, and, you know, we explore ideas on that basis. But, yeah, they're the varieties that are close to my heart. I mean, the vineyard's ever-changing and we're introducing new varieties now. But these were the varieties we had in front of us and the ones we chose to explore. Mm. So what That's are the cool. – um, yeah, it is cool. I like Cabernet without the pain. <laughs> That's an awesome way to describe Merlot. Um, can you tell us, Matt, what the new varieties you're looking at putting in the vineyard are? Yeah, so a big push for us is um, more than new varieties actually is clonal diversity. So one of the sort of remarkable things about the Strathbogies being so ancient is that it's weathered back to bedrock. Um, you know, they, they call it a process called de-roofing where all that sedimentary soil is actually washed into the Golden, Golden Valley. And if you're looking around the region, there's rocky granite outcrops everywhere. So our soil is remarkably even. So one of the things we're doing in our replanting is clonal diversity. So we now have five, five clones of Shiraz. And we're pushing uh, different clones in Pinot. But um, in terms of uh, new varieties, the one we're planting this year is Gamay. Cool. So that's oh, yeah. exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. Exciting for us wine drinkers. Yeah, and it takes heat better than Pinot Noir, right? So, you know, what chapter of the book is Gamay going to be and how would you describe Gamay, Matt? Well, I think uh, I've still got a lot to learn about Gamay and the Strathbogies. There's no precedent for it, so I'll probably reserve judgment on that one. But um, perhaps Pete was alluding to a, a sequel before when we talked about going hunting because we've got some ideas cooking for another book already. Mm. I mean, we've barely got through the launch of this one. But, um, but yeah, we, uh, we might introduce Gamay into that discussion. Yeah. When customers ask me in the shop um, what's the difference between sort of Gamay and Pinot, I, I always say Gamay is like Pinot's cool cousin that you take to the party and everyone likes it better. It's got more piercings <laughs> and a few more tattoos, but, you, you know. Uh, oh, I yeah. love that description. Uh, you, you're welcome to have that one, mate. <laughs> you might see that in a book coming out. <laughs> if I see it in the book, I'd love that. That'd be good. No, no credit required. Yeah. Um, it sounds like a fun project, guys, and it, so it was it sort of – as you said, um, during COVID, the mm. pandemic, and um, so it gave you a chance to to yeah, bring to life an idea that was probably on the back burner because you didn't have time. Yeah, basically 2020 for me personally, and I don't wish to diminish how difficult it was for so many people and business owners and things mm. like that. For me as an individual, um, 2020 was a magical fantasy year. Like I had the best possible time in 2020 because 
being an author was something I'd always aspired to when I was younger. And then, you know, I did my PhD, I kind of burnt myself out on writing. And I sort of left it behind. I did a lot of, you know, I'm a big reader. So I sort of kept connected to it in that regard. But um, no, 2020 was a fantastic year. And I think, um, uh, you know, I could let Matt speak to it. But I think for Matt, working on the project was a helpful way of also um, giving him an outlet uh, while he was facing a lot of challenges as a business owner, winemaker, person mm. running a cellar door. Yeah, and there were certainly challenges everywhere. Um, and one of the great things, you know, during the pandemic was to try and stay close to friends. And, you know, I really valued our conversations. Pete uh, has taught me a lot about life. So it was kind of comforting. But the other beautiful part of it, I thought, was, you know, we with all that um, turmoil going on, I guess, uh, as, as we faced up here, uh, it sort of elevated, I think, elevated the conversation uh, because mm. there was no pretense. There was no, it, it, we got cut to the quick. And I think uh, because of that, we've revealed a lot about ourselves. And uh, to be honest, in another context, perhaps you wouldn't be so honest and brutal, but mm. life was being brutal. And uh, mm. I think it's reflected in the book in a really lovely way. Yeah. I like the sort of concept of these, you know, looking at the different varieties and sort of equating them to people and having conversations and stuff. But to be a bit more specific, question for both of you, you know, were there any any highlights of any bottles that you shared that you can, you know, specific bottles you can recall? You know, because as wine lovers, we're always thinking, well, me and my mate, you and, you know, last year had this incredible bottle of Chablis or whatever. Yeah, well, I think, sorry, you, you go, man. Oh, no, look, actually, I was just going to mention the ladies' Shiraz, ladies who shoot their lunch Shiraz that we had in the um, Grand Ravine, which is the moderately-sized gorge, which you'll read in, about in Chapter 2. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it was just such a beautiful uh, such a beautiful spot. And, you know, again, you can imagine the granite uh, outcrops and the, um, you know, the bush, and it's just heaven. But it was also really early on in Pete's experience with wine, so we sort of navigated these goat tracks and, um, Pete, I don't, I don't think your mum is saying I'm a bit quicker at navigating goat tracks than yeah. Pete. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so even that, we had just a lot of fun. And, and I think, look, ladies who should have lunch for us, for me, is, is, is a wine that's very close to my heart. And so that was, yeah, I thought that was a really special moment it, for Doesn't us. that description um, just essentially tell the whole basic story of this book like it's that description was like two minutes and it was so the, the color that matt just brought out in in everything and we're talking about two blokes sipping on a glass of wine in in the bush right but but that romance that oh, came yeah. out then is that's and and that's as, what wine's about as peter has put it in the book this is the actual quote and i love this this is so funny as we made our way, Matt pointed out that the Grand Ravine was neither particularly grand nor a ravine. <laughs> In truth, it was a moderately sized gorge. <laughs> Did I just take all the romance out of that moment? <laughs> no, it's um, I have, but I again, I have such wonderful memories of that um, that moment in time, and again, I got to. Right, you know, writing it and sort of living in that place in my mind as during the writing process was really special. I think another place and uh, one that really sticks with me is Muvedra, um, and that's also given context because that was a, a bottle we shared in the um, in the barrel hall. And when Matt told me I'm taking to the barrel hall, I was pretty unimpressed with the idea. It sounded pretty. Um, 
<laughs> boring to me. And we rocked up in front of this big concrete warehouse-looking building, and I was like, ugh, what fresh hell is this? Where are we? And we went inside, and the barrel hall quickly became somewhere. It was like church for me, like the sense of age and time and the smell and the aroma and you know i could hear mozart playing in my mind when we were in there and it had this sort of sacred feel to it the place and so the barrel hall for me and that chapter in particular um i i really love that that experience of again enjoying muvedra in that place and talking about I suppose the mysteries of wine and how as the as the wines rest in their barrels, you don't really know what you're going to get out the other side. So there's this kind of magical element to winemaking that I, I thought was really special. And I that that has a, a place in my heart. And, what, what and that's come... actually... Oh, no, oh. sorry, you go, Matt. Oh, look, I was just going to say, you know, that's where Pete has... Pete, what's the, what's the quote about new landscapes seeing... New yeah, so there's a quote by the author Marcel Proust, um, the true journey, I, I hope I don't butcher it, the real voyage of discovery <laughs> is not to journey to new landscapes, but to see with new eyes. Mm. And Pete taking me to the barrel hall that day, or, or us being there together, and talking about it like uh, a temple where the wine, its only job is to be still and mature. And it just, it actually has changed my view of that space for all time. Mm. And I know that sounds a bit uh, dramatic, but, but it really has, isn't it? It is just a beautiful uh, space and it is all about time and suspending mm. time and it's just lovely and still and calm, whereas I'd probably seen it more as a workspace before. And so, yeah, I've, I've sort of fallen in love with the barrel hole again. Yeah, well, because you it's sort awesome. of you see so many in your in your journey as a well, you're a winemaker, but obviously for me, I've been you know to so many barrel halls, and yeah, it's just like here's another barrel hall. But yeah, that sense of the future and the place. The the, the next question though, with when it comes to Miverd, and in Australia we call that Mataro, and in the mm. Barossa they call it the Dog Strangler. So what sort of what sort of attributes do you put with people with Mataro, Matt? Gosh, that's a it's a tricky one. That was a it? tough question. Um, oh yeah, I'm here for the tough no, ones. Well, <laughs> we, what, Pete, remind me what we uh, what we said in the book. Oh, John. <laughs> You're going to have to go and buy it. <laughs> no, people, well, people might just have to read the book for themselves to find that out. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a lovely thing. Mm. It's just, uh, how, what's it like to grow Maverd, Matt? Well, look, up our way, it's obviously a late ripening uh, red, and we bought the vineyard with the vines already planted, and um, I wasn't sure whether it would actually work in the bogies, but, um, you know, like uh, all good winemakers, we like to experiment and try new things. So we thought we'd, we'd leave it planted um, and see what happened. And then uh, one of the funny experiences we had it's actually the back marker in terms of late harvest so we harvested in 2018 i think it was 10th of june we oh, harvested yeah and it was a, yeah and it, yeah, exactly old school like while but, you're pruning uh, everything else 70s. you're walking through and <laughs> grabbing fruit yeah. but but it's um but it was and a beautiful wine, and I really, I mean, I really enjoy Mavedra. But that, you know, I've sort of come, I, I come at wine a bit differently, and I think about wine a bit differently. And you know, as we're uh, sort of describing varieties as almost personalities, human personalities. You know, you walk around a, a vineyard, and and I think of vines as being happy or sad, and you know, and uh, Mavedra as one example. It's always got a very, it's quite a vigorous um, variety. It's always got a very erect. Um, canopy 
and habit. And so I think of it as a happy, <laughs> a happy variety. You know, it just seems to do its thing and mm. Um, mm. doesn't present too many challenges for us. It must love its spot then, obviously. Yeah. It does, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a nice little um, sheltered spot. Mm. Pretty underrated as a straight varietal in Australia too, in my opinion. Yeah, and we we do blend it, but we uh, we also release it as a straight varietal as part of our Stone Willers range, mm. uh, which is yeah, I think a really interesting drink. Mm. It's, um, it sounds like an, an awesome book. Um, so Peter Coleman and Matt Fowles a collaboration. Um, so it's weekends with Matt, and you can buy it where, guys? Um, you can buy it basically wherever good books. Are sold. Um, I give shout out to Dimex, Collins Bookstores. Um, you, you, uh, Hill of Content did our launch the other day, so if you can give them some love. Uh, Avenue Bookstores. Um, you can buy it at Target, Big W. You can buy it on Booktopia, Amazon.com.au. So you've got lots of different options. Um, there's actually also the audiobook. Um, it oh. will be available on Audible. Um, Who voices that, Peter? Um, a gentleman named John Robertson who is an um, Australian actor who uh, lives in the UK and he, he um, I think, is going to do a fantastic job. I only heard a snippet of him doing it. Um, but the book is um, being released tomorrow, actually. on audio book? Off. Okay. Yeah, the audio book um, will be out tomorrow. And then um, just a quick shout-out, I also wanted to let people know that we have an event coming up on Thursday. Um, so this coming Thursday, um, we have on the 4th of August, um, an event at Books for Cooks bookstore, um, cool. uh, which is at Queen Victoria. Yeah, Queen Vic Market, and that's from 6.30pm onwards. You can grab a ticket on Eventbrite. I think it's like $11 a head. There will be wine served, and Matt and I will be there talking about the book. That sounds like a pretty good thing for people to go to. Oh, I love Books for Cooks. It's amazing. And yeah, congratulations, gents, because, I'm, you know, having just had a quick read through it, but the the book itself, the cover, all of the art in it and everything, it's just really beautifully produced. Yeah, a firm did a remarkable job with it. So massive shout out to them because they they've they're really big believers in the book from day one. So they they've done a great job of supporting. Yeah. Mm, nice. Yeah, and uh, so hopefully there's another uh, project that comes out at some stage in the future. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, like Matt, I was mentioning to Simon earlier that um, he and I have had a bit of a um, idea around. Um, Matt's a, a, obviously a big foodie and thinks of of wine through food a lot, and we have a bit of an idea around conversations based around food next time around. Awesome. So nice. we'll see how we go. <laughs> see how we go. Well, yeah. The uh, so your publisher, a firm, will. Um, It'll be uh, how well they sell the book, eh? <laughs> exactly. If, if you want to read the sequel, go and buy the first. <laughs> perfect. That is the perfect way to uh, to to wrap up, um, guys. Thank you. Um, go and buy Matt's wine. It's uh, it's fouls. Um, so you got Stone Dweller. You've got Ladies Who Shoot Their Lunch. You got um, a few ranges. Table A game. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, and fairly widely um, distributed. Do you have some at Dan's? We've got a ton at Dan's. In fact, one of the last things I did before this whole lockdown 2020 thing, we had the Decoded Wine Awards, which Matt won, and we had a bit of a night out in Richmond with you. Was it Louise? Is that your wife, Matt? 
Yeah, Louisa. Yeah, yeah, quite yeah. Right. yeah that was Much that more was really memorable f- than me. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, but I just remember it because it was like the last night I had out before the lockdown. Yeah, so really? it's kind of a nice way for me to think yeah. of this book as well. Yeah, good one, um, guys. Well done. And uh, so it's called Weekends with Matt. Go and grab it, and uh, it's a great read. So, um, looking forward to hearing about the new one when the time comes. Hey, thanks, <laughs> thanks very much. Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Have a good Cheers. weekend.